Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, the former Chelsea left-back Benfica legend, West Ham Stowell, Charlton guru Scott Minto is here as well, as well as our transfer newsbreaker, Alex Crook, who is alongside us every single time we do this podcast. Uh, this week, Arsenal show their championship credentials. Chelsea and Liverpool play out a mediocre mid-table mashup at Anfield on Saturday. Uh, the Toffees are stuck in a moment they can't get out of. We'll also have some fun with Crook about Manchester United. This is the TalkSport Game Day podcast. One of them could jump three places to six with a win, but right now they're ninth and tenth. How the mighty have fallen. And Chelsea are in front, and Liverpool's defensive frailties are exposed once again. The VAR seems to have suggested that an offside was indeed the case, and that goal has been ruled out. It's still nil-nil. The work to do for both these two clubs going forward. It's finished in Anfield. Liverpool nil. Chelsea nil. As they put it into the back of the net, it's Jared Bowen again. Frank Lampard may be in big trouble after this result. It's relief for David Moyes, though. It's finished West Ham two. Everton nil. Well, Michael Salisbury has made his decision. No goal. It has been disallowed. And that is a hammer blow for Southampton. It in. The downward header is in. And Aston Villa have scored. And it's Ollie Watkins who can celebrate. You're not going to believe who scored this. It's Manchester City 3, Wolverhampton Wanderers 0. And wow, it's another hat-trick from that man. Now that's 25 league goals. This is just ridiculous. Arsenal 3, Manchester United 2. The Emirates has just erupted. And Arsenal look like they are making another statement of their title credential. Well, first of all, uh, let's start with some of the big headlines. Uh, yesterday, Frank Lampard met uh, Mashiri, the owner of Everton, to talk about his future. Arsenal uh, went back to the top of the table by five points, extending their lead once again after Manchester City had put pressure on them during the day. Over the weekend, we watched Chelsea and their new stars try to cause a problem for Jurgen Klopp at Anfield in his 1,000th game. Uh, but as Jurgen said to me afterwards, it's all about building blocks. However, he did admit if he had taken charge of 999 games like that, he wouldn't have reached a 1,000. Um, shall we focus on Arsenal-Manchester United first? Um, because Arsenal were absolutely terrific, especially in that second half, especially at the end of the game when they needed to win. They went out to win the game. It was a terrific football match. Arguably, Scott, you'd say it was a Premier League classic. I think it was. There's no argument about it, Sam. I mean, look, it was a proper old-school Arsenal-United game, wasn't it? Played with passion and intensity and 
you know, the Arsenal went at it from the start that they've been doing all season. United kind of held on in those first few minutes and they came back and, and answered with Marcus Rashford. And, and, and you're right, you know, for me, champions, and I, I still slightly favour City. We'll wait until that City game mid-Feb. But champions find a way to win. And in the end, I think United were hanging on. Arsenal were going for the win. But I'd also like to just highlight the reaction of the players and Mikel Arteta as well when they went 1-0 down. You know, they haven't been 1-0 down that early as well against one of the, the top teams. The team, of course, that had beat them, the only team that had beat them in the Premier League so far this season. The reaction of the players was like waving to the fans saying, come on, get behind us. This is a setback and nothing more. Nothing that we can't get over. And Arteta did exactly the same. And I was doing the, the Sunday session uh, with Addy. And uh, and I looked at it. I just looked at the reaction and I said, this is a reaction of a team that can come back from adversity. And that's exactly what they did. As I say, I'll try and say it a little bit softly, but it's a game that champions win and look back on as, as, as a pivotal match. Yeah, uh, Manchester City put pressure on them earlier in the day by coming back with a 3-0 win over Wolverhampton Wanderers. They're impressive in that. Haaland got his hat-trick. Everyone was talking about the gap being down to two points. But the way that Arsenal responded was particularly impressive. A 90th-minute winner or a late winner from Eddie Nketiah to get them over the line. They've taken 34 points from 36 available at home this season, Crook. It's time to put a bit of respect on their name. Definitely. And, and what encouraged me is that we had Arsenal fans ringing our show on Sunday night and finally admitting they could win the championship for the first time in, in nearly 20 years because that, to me, felt like a season-defining moment. You mentioned the home form there, the only points dropped in that 0-0 draw against Newcastle. I think it's going to be very difficult for anybody, even the mighty Manchester City, to go to the Emirates and win. It's become a real fortress. The atmosphere is fantastic. You can see the relationship between the Arsenal players and their supporters, their adoration for Mikel Arteta. And I think that goal proves that Arsenal are the real deal because, let's be honest, this is as good a Manchester United team as we've seen for some time. Yes, they were missing Casemiro. Yes, the goals they gave away were frustrating. I was quite encouraged by what Eric Ten Hag said afterwards, that Manchester United need to change their mentality. But they're at the start of their project. Arsenal, three years into theirs, and they have that winning mentality. I really think they can go all the way. What a fascinating season it is, the fact that you know Liverpool and Chelsea in the middle of the table, Manchester United are rebuilding, getting back up there, Newcastle gate-crashing the top four, Arsenal seemingly running away with the Premier League title. It's it's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating to follow. Um, but I suppose it's not fascinating if you're married to an Arsenal fan and you are a Manchester United fan and you haven't stopped banging on for ages about how bad Arsenal have been. In fact, 20 years you've been giving your missus constant stick because, you know, that they're just nothing in comparison to the mighty Manchester United and all of a sudden the tables are turned. What time did you eventually go home last night, Crook? Because I know that you were delaying your entry into your house until your wife had gone to sleep. I think I snuck in about 11.45 in the end and uh, and all was safe. <laughs> Got up late this morning. I'm still hiding um, from the gloating, to be honest. So, yeah, that isn't uh, that isn't an ideal scenario. But uh, I, I guess Why they do Why can't you one. just be happy for her? Sam, Sam, just, can I just interject here as well? So, we're on a group WhatsApp, aren't we? And... Um, and we're sort of texting them that you were, you know, busy doing entertainment at the time. And uh, but you you join a little bit later. But Crookie said, "I can't go home. She's an Arsenal fan. I'm going to go and have a whiskey." <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd, I'd spent three hours being baited by Edibayo Akinfenwa and trying to be 
uh, trying to be humble and, uh, you know, saying that's your own the fault. That's your own fault because you wind it up all the time. You've got to take it when it comes your way. You can't keep giving it out and then not taking it. No, that, that, that's absolutely fair comment. I mean, it was crushing, that last-minute winner. Um, but, I, I, again, I guess the fact that, as a Manchester United fan, I'm disappointed that we've lost in the last minute to the league leaders. That shows what a journey Eric Ten Hag has taken us on. Talking of journeys, Eddie Nketiah had seven goals in seven games. Um, he's got four and five in the Premier League. Jesus may be quaking in his boots now that when he does get fit, he might not get back in the team because of the fact that Nketiah's finishing has been so good and so consistent. Saka's got 11 goals in 30 for club and country in this season. The players and the quality level that Arsenal have managed to put together have been impressive. And I think there was a lot of eyebrows raised in the summer when Eddie Nketiah was handed a new contract. I think Crook was one of those who definitely raised a few eyebrows. That big mono brow was going up and down like a like a lunatic as a result of Eddie Nketiah getting <laughs> a Thierry Henry's number. However, however, he's proved everybody wrong. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't got a monobrow, Sam, but both my eyebrows were, were raised at the time as well, especially <laughs> sort of the melt was being paid. But look, I mean, questions were asked with Gabriel Jesus when he was injured. And, and I was one to sort of say, look, I do think Arsenal need to go out and buy. You can't rely on Eddie Nketiah. And then the first couple of games, it's like, well, he's scoring. He's not just scoring, he's playing well. And I'm like, my next question is, but can he do it game after game after game? Well, look, he's, we're, we're, what are we, five games in, five, six games in? He is doing it. And you know what he's doing that Gabriel Jesus isn't, hasn't done much? He's put the ball in the back of the net as well. I know there's a lot of Arsenal fans and, and neutrals will probably say, well, how can you not play Gabriel Jesus straight away once he's fit? I think that only as Eddie Nketiah scored goals he's also linked the line really well he's played well with, with the midfield and his wide players and I also think it would send a message for, for Marteta which is what he's trying to do anyway that no one player is bigger than the team so for me I think it'd be a massive statement to say Gabriel you may be fit but the stats say it all we're carrying on as if you, you were playing Eddie Nketiah is a major part you're going to have to bide your time for a couple of games and let's see how this one goes. That's, it's fascinating to see. I mean, listen, the one thing they haven't got is squad depth, really, Arsenal. And, and, and he hasn't had to make too many of those big calls. It'll be interesting to see what happens when he has to. And when next year, when they're in the Champions League and they've got to rotate a little bit more, uh, how he manages to, to deal with that. Because that's the next test. But what is still, let's be honest about it, a rookie manager, really. Arsenal had 63 touches in the Manchester United box. No side in the Premier League this season has had more than that. It's particularly impressive and shows they're attacking in 10. Manchester United did score a couple of goals, but what's happened? I mean, what's the verdict on Anthony? I mean, we have a, a long chat about this quite a lot. He does impact games. He does score goals. He does create goals. And his goal involvement ratio, if you look back at what he's done at Manchester United and going further back at Ajax as well, it's pretty impressive. But his overall contribution to the game, he drifts in and out of it all the time. Is that what you want from an £86 million player group? He's not doing enough at the moment, um, no question about that. He's probably the one Ten Hag signing that so far hasn't come off. But I think, you know, we need to we need to cut him a bit of slack. He's not the first South American to come to the Premier League and maybe struggle in their first season. Um, I remember battering Cristiano Ronaldo, who's got similarities to Anthony and playing style when he first came. So let's give him a little bit of time. But I think at the moment, I think at the moment it is a struggle, particularly in those in those big games. I think Arsenal found him quite easy to defend against um, in in that game. And maybe Ten Hag could have been bolder and possibly taken him off earlier and brought on Ganacho 
who's been shown to impact things off the bench. But I think, I mean, you mentioned squad depth. Uh, obviously, they've got Trossard, who came on and made an impression. They've got Kivior uh, to come in and, and bolster their defensive ranks. The Arsenal squad is, is deeper than Manchester United. United didn't really have too much to come on and, uh, and change the game. For the bench, we had some fans bemoaning Veghorst. Why is he playing? Well, they've got nobody else. You know, Anthony Martial is made of glass, and when he does play, doesn't contribute much anyway. I think in an ideal scenario, Veghorst wouldn't have been the player the Ten Hag stumbled upon this window. But what else are you going to get for three million pounds or less, which was the loan fee? So, squad depth is an issue at United, and I think it will be an issue all the time that the Glazers are there. To be honest, yeah, um, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, the, the patience of crooks pleading patience now. Everyone be patient with Anthony. Never have patience for anybody else. As soon as they mess up, they're out the door. They're finished and writes them off discarded, but, you know, it's different now. It's, it's get, you're getting older and wiser, aren't you? you know, a little few grey flecks in that hair, all of a sudden, is a little bit more wisdom. You're getting <laughs> I don't older. know about that. <laughs> uh, let's turn our attention to Manchester City against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Very one-sided, especially in the first half. Erling Haaland getting a hat-trick before the hour mark and being replaced as a result of that. City putting a bit of a marker down. When I was there on Thursday night for the Tottenham game, Pep was really animated. I spoke to him afterwards and yeah, I think the interview's done the rounds a little bit in terms of he was so feisty, wanting more from the fans, he wanted more from the clubs, he, he wanted more from his players. I want to see my team, he kept saying to me, I want to see my team and he was standing there, you know, with his arms sort of crunching into his chest, pleading, I want to see more from them. Um, and uh, I spoke to Riyad Mahrez afterwards. I said, tell me what he means when he's saying to us, he wants to see more from his team and he went, oh, he says that to us all the time as well. And it's what he wants us to get to the standard that we are, we were two, three years ago. He wants us to keep achieving that. Now, they're going to have to get to that standard, aren't they, if they're going to catch Arsenal at the top of the league. They're going to probably have to win, Scott, every game from now on in now. They've done it before, 2019. They went from January to the end of the season, winning every single match. They are capable of it. Can they do it this time around? Yeah, I, I don't know if they have to win every single game, but let's just say the way Arsenal are playing, it certainly looks like that at the moment. And that game mid-Feb at the Emirates, I think is going to be absolutely key. And if Arsenal do win that, then I will say publicly, I believe that, that they'll go on and win the title, even though I already think they can. I, I wasn't surprised by it. And I, I sent you to a text on the morning of last week's pod as well. And I asked the question, how many teams or how many times has a three-peat been done? to win a, a top-flight title back-to-back-to-back to back to back since World War II? The answer, three times. So three times it's been done since 1945 or 1939, if you want to go to the start of it. That tells you how hard that is. I was not surprised to see his reaction. What he's saying is, and what he was having to go with the fans as well is, my players are 2 3 4% off what they've been in the last four, a couple of years. I don't, I'm not surprised they're human beings. They're not robots. They're still trying their very, very best. But to keep it up year after year after year, you only have to ask Jurgen Klopp how difficult that is and what's happening at Anfield. But you, you look at Man City now and the fans are just sitting there and expecting, waiting, as if they're going to the theatre and every time there's going to be a great performance. No, that that's where Pep had a go at them to say, can you fill in the 2 or 3% that we're losing out by the players because we're asking to go again and again and again to win Premier League titles? So I thought it was genius from, from Pep Guardiola. I think he's a genius anyway, personally. 
He's asking the fans to get behind a team that are really trying their best. And they've got 45 points after 20 matches. Like if Arsenal weren't an absolute fire, they'd be top. And how many, again, how many times has it happened? One, three consecutive top flight titles in English football since the World, World War. Three times. It's incredible what Man City are doing. But you're right, Sam. Arsenal is almost the perfect storm for them in the sense that what you mentioned, Liverpool and Chelsea, where they are, Tottenham uh, in transition, as are United. City are not doing bad. It's just Arsenal on absolute fire. But will they need to win every single game? I don't know. But the way Arsenal are playing, what we've seen in the first half of the season, there's every chance they might have to. And what we've seen so far from Manchester City is they've not been fluent of the teams that they've had in the last couple of years. And that's why I'm edging more and more as, as each game goes by towards saying that I do think Arsenal will win the title. Yeah, uh, Rico Lewis, I thought, uh, was really impressive on Thursday night. He came off at half-time during the game on Sunday. But he's emerging as a real prospect at right-back who wanders into midfield, gives them extra depth in there. Lucy Ward came up with this brilliant phrase during our commentary on Thursday night. She said, he's press-resistant. Yep. And he is. <laughs> he's scanning all the time before he receives the ball. When he gets the ball... He's always got a pass. He's got an outlet. He knows where it's going next. He's got options and he can execute it. I compare that to some of the, the younger players that are coming into the Chelsea team. They don't have that and they get pressed and they lose the ball and they find themselves in trouble. And that is a key facet to any Premier League football. If you want to come into a big team, you've got to be able to use the ball well when you're under pressure. And he does that better than most. He is absolutely terrific. A real prospect. And I think he'll end up being in that City team for years to come if he continues to develop the way he is at present. Um, Wolves could have played for a month without scoring, but that's a story that's been going on for a very, very long time. Um, oddly, Leeds nil, Brentford nil was also on Sunday. Um, there was a, a great counter-attack right at the very end when Johan Visser should have slipped the ball into Ivan Tony, Didn't do so. Ended up running down a blind alley. And as a result of that, missed an opportunity to, well, it wouldn't have been a certain goal, but it would have been a cracking opportunity uh, for Brentford to steal all three points. But Leeds United looked almost watertight at the back. Um, they've kept a clean sheet. They never keep a clean sheet, Leeds United. They're terrible defensively. But their wait for a Premier League win goes on. I was there on Wednesday night at Ellen Road and the, the atmosphere was really good because they're playing Cardiff. They knocked them over. But Brentford is a completely different level. They do need to start posting wins. They do need to make sure they start scoring the goals they've got in that game against uh, Cardiff. And they have done other points of the season. But defensively, sealing that back line is the most important thing, isn't it, Crook? Yeah, I'm not sure anybody would have predicted nil-nil in that game, to be honest. And, and I, I seem to have a lot of uh, Leeds fans on my social media timeline. And a lot of them are still questioning Jesse Marsh and the style of play and the fact the border investing so much in his project with new signings. They're in trouble, Leeds, aren't they, in, in terms of the, the league position? They are struggling to grind out victories. I think that the win over Cardiff was a, a confidence booster, but they still conceded two goals against one of the worst teams in the second tier. So I think if you're in the bottom three at the moment, and I'm starting to lean towards the bottom three being the bottom three come the end of the season, if you look at the teams above you, I think Leeds are one of those that you think actually, we could possibly reel these in because I don't see West Ham going down. I don't see Leicester going down. I think, but gradually, you're going to be right about Nottingham Forest. So if, if you're Bournemouth, Southampton or Everton, you're thinking, well, who could possibly save us? Leeds could be the answer. 
Yeah, Brentford now unbeaten in eight games. Particularly good season for Thomas Frank and his team. Um, what's the limit of their ambition, Scott? I mean, listen, if they finish top 10, um, I, I know they're eighth at the moment and you can say, well, why can't they fight for a, a European place? And why can't they? Uh, that that's their, that should be their ambition. It's not one of those, again, don't want to keep on relating uh, the, these podcasts back to Charlton, but it was almost like back in the day under Alan Kerbishley, it was get to half mid-table, halfway through the season and then just fall away a bit. Why not kick on? Why not go for it? Why not think this is one of those strange Premier League seasons and we can finish in a European place. But I still feel that if they finish in the top 10, Sam, that's a wonderful season. I mean, you talk about Brentford, you can chuck Fulham and Brighton in there. What a wonderful time is to be fans of those clubs. They must be pinching themselves. Yeah, not such a wonderful time if you're a fan of Everton or even West Ham United uh, recently. Things got better for the Hammers on Saturday. They may just about to get worse for Everton. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. And Frank Lampard may be in big trouble after this result. It's relief for David Moyes, though. It's finished West Ham 2, Everton 0. You have to keep going. You have to fight for, for Everton and be proud that you're playing and coaching Everton. I certainly am. It's the players that are letting this down, not the board. We hear it, yes, he's a clown. He's no good for our football club. Get Dice in there, get Duncan Ferguson in there, and then we'll start climbing that table. Trust me. The full-time whistle goes. The booze ring around Goodison Park. The sit-down protest will now begin from those Everton fans that want to make their feelings clear about the way their club is being run. It's abject. I'll be amazed, absolutely amazed, if Frank Lampard survives this. We have miles too much respect for our manager to be doing that because 
We believe in what he's trying to do. We believe in him as a manager, him as a person, his staff. It's just gone beyond the joke. The entire club is just rotten to the core. I do fear for Everton. I look at Everton's team. It's going to be tough for them. The Everton football fans love their football club. They want it to be better. Fingers will be pointed at Frank Lampard. Since the minute I got here, we were in a relegation battle and it might mean results or days like this. And you just have to focus on going again because it's the things you can control. West Ham 2, Everton 0, uh, Saturday's big game really in some senses and West Ham United getting back to winning ways with two goals from Jared Bowen who is a new expectant father, twins on the way with Danny Dyer and twin girls this weekend um, but the big story is all about Frank Lampard, Everton and the future of that club, a club that seems to be crumbling under the weight of expectation, under the weight of overspending, mismanagement of poor signings from years gone by, an imbalanced squad and seemingly no way out. There's a brilliant piece on Match of the Day at um, at the weekend in which uh, they went through all of the goals that have been scored in the Premier League by the players that are on the, the roster and they listed the number of players that have got um, double figures and it's six or seven players that have got double figures in the Premier League in their entire career. Not just this season, in their entire career. There is not one player in that squad that is a one-in-two goal scorer. Calvert-Lewin is not even a one-in-three goal scorer. So you're working with players that don't score that many goals. And the performance, which wasn't that bad, by the way, they had several good opportunities and good passages of play. Alex Awobi in particular, doing very well in the middle of the park. They just cannot score goals, and they cannot score goals in a, with a volume that is going to keep them in the Premier League. They're going down. They're going to end up in the in the next tier. And it's painful to say, and I've been trying to fight against it for six months, but it is going to happen unless there is an overhaul of the squad. The issue here, and Crook, you will know this, is that they cannot overhaul the squad because FFP is not going to allow them to do it. Now, you could say that that is a failure on the rules of the Premier League, that they are hamstringing a club that has got the ability to spend but are not being able to do so. They're not being allowed to save themselves because of the draconian Premier League FFP rules. Or you could say that over the last five, six years, they have flouted the the convention of spending with such gay abandon that they have lavished cash on players that aren't worth it and their profligacy in that transfer market has ultimately come back to haunt them. It's a really fine line isn't it? Because I can see both sides of the coin, to be honest. They have they have spent an incredible amount of money very badly and therefore, where do you draw the line? Should they be allowed to keep on spending and, uh, you know, showing ambition? I mean, it's ambition that's, that's been the devil for them, really. Um, because if they just spent moderate money to try and become a stable Premier League club rather than reaching for the stars, they probably wouldn't be in this mess. So we, we could probably spend a whole podcast debating the rights and wrongs of FFP. The, the big question I've got is if they sack Frank Lampard, I think that's probably on the flip of a coin as we sit here and record this on Monday morning. Who on earth is going to want that job? You look at their next two fixtures, both live on TalkSport. They've got Arsenal at home Saturday week. Then they've got the Merseyside derby on a Monday night with the greatest will in the world. Pep Guardiola going into that Goodison Park dressing room would struggle to win either of those two games. So if you're Sean Dyche, for example, who is you know the name that's being bandied around by a lot of Everton fans, he needs to rebuild his reputation because it was dented by being relegated with Burnley 
is Everton in the relegation places with no, with no money to spend. Is that the right place for him to rebuild his reputation? Then you look at a rookie manager like Duncan Ferguson, gets the club, understands the fans, has been uh, proven that he can have a, a short-term impact, long-term. Does he have any hope of keeping this Everton team in the Premier League? I called it in August that Everton would be relegated. It was a bold claim at the time because obviously they've been part of the Premier League furniture. But this has been this writing has been on the wall because of the poor decisions the board have made, and not just in terms of recruitment. They probably should never have hired Rafa Benitez. Having done so, knowing there'd be a backlash from the fans, they should have stuck by their man rather than getting rid of him at the first sign of trouble to try and appease those supporters. Uh, then they had... Uh, other managers lined up to come in the fans didn't like so they went down the Frank Lampard route effectively allowed the supporters to pick Benitez's successor it's mistake after mistake after glorious mistake I think they're doomed I think Frank Lampard carries the haunted look of someone who knows it's over Um, you know that video actually of him with the Everton fans trying to reassure him that he still had their support I, I thought that made uncomfortable viewing that to me looked like a manager who's really buckling under the pressure of this job so there's no quick fix there's no way out as far as I'm concerned for Everton and there's no immediate bounce back from the championship because of those financial problems that they've got. I don't think that Frank is buckling under the pressure and the weight of expectation. I think he's handled all of that very well. I think the issue is here is that he's working with very difficult tools. I'm not saying that he's been perfect, by the way. I think some of the tactical decisions have not always been correct. and It's very difficult to get the best out of a group of players that know themselves that they're in a relegation battle, know themselves that the fans and the media are constantly looking at them and saying they're not good enough, you need to get replacements in. It's a hard sell for any manager to be able to try and conjure something from this, coax something from this Everton team. But um, I think, I, I think, and I think they will end up sacking them just because they believe that if they sack it, they might get a new manager bounce. If they do that, and they make another mistake, which is probably likely bearing in mind their history. Where in Everton going to end up? Where does it stop? Where do you? Where do you? How far do you go down? Where you just keep spiraling to the point where you're sacking managers, hiring new players, sacking managers, sacking managers, sacking managers. Where does it end? Sam, this is exactly what I said on the Sunday session uh, yesterday. And look, you've got the board, you've got the manager, you've got the players, the board. Okay. Spent half over half a billion, you know, put money where his mouth is absolutely. But we all know recruitment has been absolutely rubbish, um, and weak leadership as well. For Mashiri to say it's not my decision about sacking, oh, that was ridiculous. He said that on the weekend, didn't he? It's not my decision about whether or not Frank Lampard continues in the job. Whose decision is it then, pal? Absolutely. So everyone knows it's his decision, and even if it's not his decision, a proper leader would not say that. Yeah. They just Agreed. say no comment. So players, recruitment, not good enough. Too many of them either don't care or can't handle the situation of playing at Goodison Park in a relegation battle. Must be really hard. I would not want to do it, but you need big characters. Even Connor Cody and, and Tarkovsky as well seem to be, I'm not saying buckling in any way, but seem to be making mistakes because of the pressure of what you said, that they have to keep a clean sheet every time to have any chance of winning the game. Yeah. They, you know, Anthony Gordon is a shadow of the player that, that he was last season. Everton fans seem to be now, even though he's one of their own, quite happy for him to go. There's so many players there. With all due respect to Neil Malpay, Richarlison's gone for 60 million. Malpay, you couldn't even get into Brighton's side, which actually doesn't look a bad thing right now. But, you know, he's not a, an out now goal scorer. So then you've got the manager. 
what does the manager do? You hit the nail in the head there. Is he, are they going to sack the manager and go year after year being in the same position? And I do think that because Everton Football Club is such a big club, it will attract people like a Sean Dyche because he, he will turn around and say he'll believe that he can get them out of trouble. That's not necessarily the biggest issue for him, even though it is for Everton in the short term. The biggest issue for him is where does he go from next season? How does he get Everton out of this problem? You know, this annual problem. And I don't see a way out at the moment because of FFP. The problem is, is that people in the club, people who run the the club from a from a lofty position, believe that the club's too big to go down. They believe that there's some way that magically they will get themselves out of it. They'll fight their way uh, through it and end up managing to scrape a place in the Premier League next year. But how long are you going to do that for? That's what they did last year. That's what they did for probably four years of the last five. That's what they have been doing for almost a decade. In fact, I can't remember the last time, really, that Everton, probably under David Moyes and Roberto Martinez, were up there in the sort of top half of the table on a regular basis. It doesn't happen anymore. They're not too big to go down. They are going down. They are going to be in the championship next year unless somebody injects enough cash for them to buy better players that someone can coach that can get them over the line. They've got to go on a fantastic run of winning matches. The last time they won a match, Liz Truss was the Prime Minister. And even that's a very small window of time to be able to put three points on the board. The fact of the matter is, this season has been a disaster. But this season has been a disaster because of what has gone before. You can blame Frank Lampard if you want, because that's the easy way to do it. Frank Lampard's a well-known England international and he's a Chelsea legend, so he divides opinion. So everyone will get on his back because that's the easiest thing to do. But the fact is the blame lies elsewhere. And unless you have got a cohesive plan to come in and transform that club, you need, you need new players, you need a new outlook, you need fresh investment, then you have got absolutely no chance of success. They've got this huge stadium that they're building on the, uh, the banks of the River Mersey, which is uh, they're doing some sort of deal to ensure that the the fluidity of the cash still keeps going into that project because there's a bit of a worry about that now. But the last thing you want is a huge football club in one of the best stadiums in the country, if not the world, playing in the championship. That would be an absolute disaster. So I don't know how you get out of it, but I don't think you get out of it by doing the same thing over and over again. Sacking managers, getting a load of new players. Sacking manager, getting a load of new players. It doesn't work. In the end, you have a bloated, overpaid squad that you can't get rid of and you can't build a team and everybody needs to be together at that football club if they're going to save themselves. Absolutely. And 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 my worry is that Frank can't go and get players. You know, the players are already there, very good contracts, so you can't, you can't get rid of them. And FFP, I don't know how that works in terms of paying up. He has to deal what he's got. And, and you're right, look, he's not without criticism. I think almost he's been too nice at times. You know, they went three at the back at the Etihad and, and somehow got a point. I think it was the very next game. They were Brighton at home. The fans are expecting. Of course you're expecting. You know, this is only Brighton. Well, you know, we know Brighton are a good side. So what does he do? He goes forward the back. He, he, he should have, and then just got tore apart. Should have been stronger and said, you know what? I'm going to go three at the back here because I know this side are up against. We may be at home and we may be a bigger club than them, but they're a better side right now. But my worry for Frank is, and as we're speaking, he's still in the job is that the only alternative the board have right now to change anything at all to stop Everton going down, and I agree with both of you, I, I've been very 
sort of reticent to give that third team. But at this moment in time, as to who I think will go down, I do think it will be Everton. And my worry for Frank, even though it's not in not certainly not completely his fault, but he's only probably five ten percent at fault. The only thing the ball can do is to change the manager. And I, I, what I don't want for Frank going forward is that people say he was a failure at Everton. Because I think, you know, you mentioned Pep Guardiola earlier, um, Cricky. I, I think I think Pep and Jurgen would struggle with this Everton side. Yeah, I think everyone would struggle with the uh, Everton side. Well, they were beaten at the weekend. And uh, as you say, the next two games are live on TalkSport. Arsenal at home and then the Merseyside derby. Uh, we're looking forward to bringing you both of those. I'm not sure that the Everton fans are looking forward to them. Uh, Leicester 2, Brighton 2. Uh, Leicester, um, well, more drop points for Leicester. 19 points from winning position. What on earth is going on uh, there? They're in a similar sort of position with FFP, but you would have thought they had enough talent to be able to sort of get themselves into a better position than which they are. Um, uh, injuries are certainly causing them a bit of an issue. Harvey Barnes had a couple of really good opportunities. There was a brilliant counter-attack during this game in which Jamie Vardy went steering, steering through the middle at a rapid pace. And I thought Barnes was just going to pop it off to him. He's going to be one-on-one. He's going to score here. This is going to be the start of a really good day for Leicester City. And Barnes sort of took, took a touch and then came back inside and funneled the ball behind Jamie Vardy. And I was like, what, what? Has he lost a little bit of confidence as well? Maybe it's a sort of a same sort of effect that we were discussing with Everton. That when you are down there, when you are struggling a little bit for form, when you are not putting results on the board and you're conceding too many goals, everybody takes that extra touch. Everybody takes the safe option. Everybody comes back inside because actually playing that Hollywood ball that bends itself around the back of uh, the central defender and falls nicely into the path of the, the centre forward just doesn't quite come off. And Leicester, I think, are in that that zone. I just felt a couple of times to me that they were taking too many touches. Crook, what did you think of the game? Well, I thought it was really entertaining. Um, and actually, I don't think it's a bad point for Leicester. Um, I fancy Brighton to go there and win, particularly uh, having taken the early lead. You know, they're a good side, Brighton, and they're the complete opposite uh, of what you're talking about with Leicester and, and, and with Everton. They are f- flooding with confidence at the moment. The likes of Solly March, who actually missed an absolute sitter to win the game at the end. Matoma uh, is a joy to watch. McAllister is carrying the look of somebody who's just won the World Cup playing alongside Leon and Messi. So I don't think it's a bad point for Leicester. I was in, interested with Brendan Rodgers' comments after the game. Um, and he was basically saying that his players are too careless um, in possession. Maybe the first time that we've seen him round on his players this season and a sign of his frustration. They're doing a little bit of business, aren't they, in the transfer market. They brought in the left-back Christensen um, and, and he will debut, no doubt, in the next round of games. So I, I think they've got enough quality, Leicester. But they their big problem, is how do you replace Jamie Vardy, who obviously hasn't scored um, anywhere near the number of goals this season that he has in previous campaigns. Obviously, they've got Patson Dacca, who hasn't really stepped up to the plate. It's not going to happen for Ian Atcho now. So I think they've got a rebuild on their hands in the summer. And again, you wonder, uh, with the FFP restrictions, do the owners have the money that Leicester need to invest to get themselves back challenging the top half of the table in the summer? I think this season is just going to be one to write off for Leicester. I don't think they're going to go down. Um, Matoma's goal was an absolute cracker. Ferguson's header for the second Brighton goal was superb as well. The way it loops over, brilliant positioning. He's he's a cracking little player. I really like him. Um, the marking for the second goal, the, the Leicester goal where Barnes scores and he's at the back post, there's literally no Brighton player within about five yards of him. It was absolutely shocking marking. But not as shocking as the decision not to give Danny Welbeck a penalty yeah. in the first half. Um, Luke Thomas fouls him for... On Danny Welbeck's foot, goes down. I mean, 
is that an example? I mean, the referee said no penalty. The VAR looked at it and said check complete. Is this an example of the bar being high, Scott? Or is this an example of of them basically overreacting, going the other way, and the bar's now going far too high? Right, so I'm I'm going to defend Howard Webb in this, even though I think it's just the wrong he decision. Is he, just tell us the truth first of all. Don't do we don't want to find out that you've gone on a golfing holiday with him, or you know, like Aaron Ramsdale, he goes on <laughs> crookie stag do. I don't want to find that out later down the line. So if he's your mate, just declare it now. Mate, if I go, if I ever do go on a golfing holiday with him, I promise to invite the both of you. I'm, <laughs> I've never come across him, even though I think he's from Rotherham. Um, look, it, it was the wrong decision. It was a penalty. But what I like, what Howard Webb is doing, and to all these, and, and, and maybe I'm in the minority even with us three, all these VAR moaners who said they don't want VAR. How, what Howard Webb is trying to do now, he's trying to make sure that it's as close to the old school of not having VAR while having VAR. In other words, he's given the power to the... Yeah, he's given the power to the referee. So... I had this chat with Addy and he said, yeah, but it's, it's wrong. It's, you know, it's a yes, it's a wrong decision. But if, if that's changed, let's just say it's changed. It should have been changed. The bar is set at where VAR interferes a little bit more. Now, again, from an in, from a personal point of view, I want to try and get myself uh, explaining right here. It was a penalty. It should have given, it should have been given. But I like the principle of Howard Webb instructing uh, VAR officials to say, Unless it's abundantly clear and over, overly obvious, it's not subjective in any way, don't change it. Because this is what the VAR haters are, are moaning about. So while it was the wrong decision on the day, I like the way Howard's going on this. Let's turn our attention to Liverpool nil, Chelsea nil. Um, we did this game on game day on TalkSport. I don't think I've ever seen two teams of such illustrious quality. Two teams builders the certainties for the top four at the beginning of the season perform in such a mediocre fashion so much carelessness with the possession of the football so many turnovers of possession so imprecise with their final pass so wasteful in front of goal i mean honestly it quality wise i mean actually everyone says it's a terrible football match it probably was a terrible football match in terms of quality that in itself made it almost entertaining because it was it was almost laughable sometimes the amount of times that the ball was given away in ridiculous areas there was always something happening because of the fact that that people were being so careless in position i was astounded by it and i don't know whether that's lack of confidence or whatever or because people were worried about the 25 million players that keep coming into the chelsea dressing room on a week by week basis and no one knows what squad number they're going to get uh, by the time we get to next season. But or, or whether or not Liverpool just, you know, themselves got to a point where they've overextended themselves over a couple of seasons and now, you know, the ageing limbs of some of those are starting to tire. But crikey, the mighty have fallen here, haven't they? Well, you talk about a lack of confidence. I'm sure I saw a stat that Mo Salah didn't have a single touch inside the Chelsea penalty area. I mean, that, that didn't have a shot again for the third game running. Yeah, that can't happen too often, if ever. And you do wonder now, did Liverpool make a mistake by lavishing him with such a big pay packet and therefore almost being forced to sell Sadio Mane? But listen, that's not the only reason that uh, things have unravelled for them this season. I think Jurgen Klopp knows now that he has a big rebuild job on his hand. Uh, from a Chelsea perspective, I thought Mudrich uh, looked quite lively when he came on. Obviously, he had a couple of, of opportunities. I think Chelsea actually looked like the more cohesive unit of the two. 
um, which given yeah, what did. you've already said about the, the number of signings they've made, was it six already this transfer window? Uh, 15 God knows, I couldn't tell you. Last season. Well, credit to Graham <laughs> Potter um, for that. But yeah, two teams who for me, uh, I just don't see them competing now for the top four. I, I think it's up for grabs for a, a club like Newcastle with that in mind. And uh, two teams who are going to have to undergo a fair amount of surgery in the summer, not just in terms of incomings, but in Chelsea's case, they've got an awful lot of players to get rid of as well, haven't they? Yeah, although they will do. There's a lot of senior players that will end up leaving in the summer, if not some going during the January transfer window. Um, I spoke to Graham Potter after the game, Scott, and he said to me when I mentioned the influx of new players, he said, you know, it's the fun part about the job. I was like, what's, what's fun about that? It's like trying to do a jigsaw. I mean, this is a guy, obviously, who clearly during lockdown got one of those 25,000-piece jigsaws and sat there and tried to put it together. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Do you know what? Since you've uh, just started and finished saying that, Sam, I think Chelsea has signed three more players. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it, it's, for, it's never for, ending, no inflated cost by any chance? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um we are getting to the point now, and I'm 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 very uh, much behind what the owners have been trying to do. Make a massive statement. They had to do it in the summer. It's almost like Abramovich again. I'd much rather them overspending than than saying we're not going to, you know, we're going to totally. tighten our belts. So I'm, I'm I'm absolutely with that. But there are so, only so many players you can have in a squad, and um, I think even Graham Potter pre-match when he sort of, you know, it looked like he's he knows that he's not going to be asked for specific players, but he's part of the committee. But even he won't want the bloated squad. We, we've talked about the injuries, Sam. And, you know, there are key players coming back. And there is a danger that Chelsea are in the point of when these key players are back, you have very big name players who can't even get on the bench. And then you can sometimes have these ego problems, which I think Graham Potter would be very good at, but still is very difficult to deal with, especially after, like, if results aren't going your way. What's the best way to shut up a player who's not playing? Win games. So, but but they're not doing that at the moment. But I I do think they look the better side at Anfield, and I really like the look of Mudrick. My goodness me, what a debut he made! Yeah. Because yeah, while it was a bit turgid beforehand, he looked amazing. And if he can build on that, then he is some player, and he will take Chelsea close to the top four this season. I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, his skill level is superb. The quickness of feet. And actually, his combination with Gallagher was brilliant as well. Like, you know, playing down that left-hand side, they worked together really well. And he uh, he had a couple of really big opportunities. And actually, there was one moment where he was played in down the left channel. He's in the penalty area. He has a perfect chance to score a goal if he just gets his touch right. And bearing in mind, his touch was brilliant in every other aspect of the game during the whole of the, the uh, 32 minutes that he was on the pitch. Um on that, I just think he thought about the headlines being written about his debut goal winning the game at Anfield just before the ball reached his feet and he just popped off and went away and out for a goal kick. Another good chance where he hit the side netting. He was creative. He was certainly a big part of Chelsea's resurgence in that second half and he will be a very good player. Hey, you'd expect him to be a good player. They're going to pay £88.5 million for him. If he was rubbish, there'd be a massive, massive problem. Um, Newcastle United, one of the challenges for the top four, maybe in the absence of Chelsea and uh, New and uh, Liverpool not being able to make it. Uh, they drop points their way at Crystal Palace. Another nil-nil game. I think this this game they've played each other three times now this season, Crystal Palace and Newcastle, and all three of them have been nil-nil. Um, why on earth did anyone pick that for a TV game? Crazy. 
Um, Southampton nil, Aston Villa won. A recent upturn in form from Southampton sort of ended, but it ended because of VAR, really, because Southampton thought they'd gone ahead, then they thought they'd conceded, then they thought they'd gone ahead again. It all, VAR had such an impact on this game in terms of the scoreline, and, of course, the drone as well. Midway through the first half, someone flies a drone into St Mary's, and the game has to stop. I mean, why on earth you would fly a drone into a football stadium? I do not know. Um, but have they found the, the the thing is, have they found the culprit, Crook? Have they arrested the criminal mastermind that ruined this game? <laughs> well, I saw someone tweeting and, and claiming responsibility, but it's easy to do, isn't it? But yeah, again, a bizarre incident. Southampton felt really aggrieved, didn't they, by their goal being ruled out? I guess, again, it's the inconsistency, because for me, if, if you're talking about clear Just and explain obvious what error, happened, because there was a nudge on Jacob Ramsey. Was there enough to generate a foul during that contact? I don't know. It was Mohamed El Yanoussi. Um, I think he was the culprit as, as far as VAR were concerned. But Scott's been talking there about the fact that Howard Webb, since he, ca- he came in, wants a higher bar. Um, I, I think in many respects, he's gone too far the other way in terms of penalties. I, I commentated the Man City Wolves game. There was a clear penalty for a foul on Jack Grealish that wasn't given. You go back to Crystal Palace and, and Manchester United in midweek. Scott McTominay earlier in the season, that would be given. I'm not sure I'm particularly comfortable with the barometers changing midway through a season and therefore penalties that would have been given in August and September suddenly aren't being given in January. But if you're doing that and you're setting that high bar, I'm not sure that the Southampton goal should have been ruled out. I'm not sure there was enough contact um, for it to have such a meaningful impact on such a game-changing decision because I think if that goal stands, Southampton win the game and suddenly their season looks a lot brighter. Yeah, Uh, Ollie Watkins uh, scoring goals. He says he knows he needs to score more goals. He knows he needs to to convert chances. And in the absence of Danny Ings now has gone to West Ham United, the burden is going to fall on him because Leon Bailey misses so many chances and he missed two or three really big chances in this game. I looked at the XG statistics for this match and it probably gives you a, a sort of clearer picture as to, to where these two teams are. Southampton 0.41, Villa 1.42. Villa probably deserved to win the game because they created the bigger and the better chances. And let's be honest about it. it you've got to score goals if you want to stay in the Premier League. Leon Bailey, man, he's, he's got to score one, at least one of those two chances. But Southampton, where are their goals going to come from, Scott? I can't see it. No, I mean, it, you know, James Ward-Prowse playing pushed up a little bit further in that number 10 role certainly helps him create and, and get a chance to, to score. And, and he did that recently, didn't he? Uh, I know what Cookie's saying about the bar, but again, I think that's just... We, we, we haven't got enough time to go into that, but I, I understand what you're saying on that one, Crookie. I, I just think Southampton, it was... Do you know what? It, after what's happened in recent games, in both in the Cups and in the league, a big blow in terms of points, but I still think they played well enough to take enough out of that to say, look, let's still we're still in this happy place right now, and they've got to take that forward in, in the Cup situation again and then in the league. I still think they will go down. But this is the time now when you are in and around the relegation zone. You don't know which way it's going to go. When you are in a little bit of a good run of form, you need to find a way to pick up points. They haven't here. I felt they deserved to get at least one point. I don't think Villa played particularly well. But I still feel from a psychological point of view as a player, you'd be thinking we've lost. That's three points gone. But actually, that wasn't a bad performance. We can kick on for the next game. And Villa are, are not the prettiest side. They're not the greatest football team. But they do produce performances that get them over the line and put three points on the board. It was at the Wolverhampton Wanderers game the other week. And they just got over the line and got a point in that match. They probably didn't 
deserve to get anything out of it. This is another game where they've dug out three points. And if you keep doing that, you keep putting points on the board, it gives you time as a manager to shape the squad, to shape your team, to 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 to, to sort of like maybe always build a little bit of confidence amongst the group that they can believe in your plan and what you're doing because what you're executing seems to be coming off. Um, but Southampton, they've won six points at home all season. That is a huge, huge worry. Uh, Bournemouth won, uh, Forest won the last game. Crookie, you were at the vitality for, for this one. It's ending a run of four defeats on the spin for Gary O'Neill and his team. But Nottingham Forest, again, clear of the bottom three, doing very well in terms of picking up points and picking up points and scoring goals on the road, which is important for them. Well, yeah, that was only their third away goal of the season, um, I think. So I wouldn't say corners necessarily been turned um, in that department. Bournemouth were much better. Uh, probably their best attacking performance. Well, definitely their best attacking performance since the World Cup break. Um, Dongo Watara coming in from Lorient. Very raw. Going to be fun to watch. But um, he had a really positive impact on the team. Jaden Anthony took his goal well. And they missed a couple of massive chances. Kiefer Moore heading over the bar from six yards out. I mean, if he can't score that kind of goal, he may as well pack up and go home because that is what he's built his career on. So that was a massive miss. Wow, you're Ryan not going to Christie start on him now, chance. are you? He just well, missed the yeah, chance. Listen, it's, it's, it's a game-changing miss. If they, if they go 2-0 up, I don't think Forrest get back in the game. In the end, Forrest have more options to come off the bench. The depth of their squad was better. The five changes that Steve Cooper was able to make had an impact. Sam Surridge against his old club and been booed on weirdly by the Bournemouth fans, despite the fact they sold him for decent money, comes up with the equaliser. And it's two points dropped for Bournemouth. And you look at their upcoming run of games, it's difficult to make too much of a case for them picking up too many points. I think they're in deep trouble now. First time all season, they've, they've dropped into the relegation places. Hard to see them getting out of it. Sam, um, they, that is massive two points drops. I mean, as big as they come. You're up against Nottingham Forest, who themselves are trying to dig themselves out of a, a hole, which they're doing at the moment. Crookie's absolutely right. Look, Pete Moore, anyone can miss a chance, but you can't miss a chance when you're down there like that, six yards in front of goal. Get that second goal, and they would have won that. And in the run they've been on, the team they're against, the matches they've got coming up, the goals they've been conceding, and the lack of goals they've been scoring, to not win that game and not see it out. Even the equaliser, where there was a mix-up between Moore and I think it was Pearson. Moore's got just got to hold it up and, and not try and head it back. And they're looking at each other. And then I can tell you now as a play, he's thinking, please don't score. Please don't score. Please. Oh, no. Because that was a big, big moment for Bournemouth. If ever they were going to try and turn things around, that was the game to do it. That uh, That's more than two points dropped, in my opinion. Especially given the games they've got to come, I and mean, then you've got Eddie Howe's return. They go to Brighton in their next Premier League game. <laughs> Very difficult game. I think they've got Wolves coming up as well. Wolves have improved under Lopetegui. Liverpool as well, I think, on the, on the radar. Man City not too far off in the future, visiting the vitality. It's, it's a tough situation. But I think the powers that be know that. Uh, they knew they were up against it because of the takeover situation. meant They couldn't sign the number of players, the calibre of players they want in the summer. They're trying uh, to... to save that this window but take the Arnout Danjuma situation they made him a massive offer uh it was he could have earned a lot more coming back to Bournemouth than he's going to get at Everton assuming that, that move goes through now with the uncertainty over Frank Lampard he turned them down now if, if you can't attract a player who's been at the club before he's got friends in the dressing room you were going to make him the highest paid player in your history who are you going to attract and that's not that's not the head of recruitment's fault that's not Gary O'Neill's fault Bournemouth are a tiny club 
in the middle of Dorset, smaller stadium in the Premier League. It's a difficult sell. And now they're in the relegation places. Makes it even harder. Yeah, Crook, you seem to be a bit down today. I don't know whether it's the Manchester United thing. I don't know whether it's the fact that Southampton and Bournemouth are heading towards relegation. I don't, I don't know what it is. But you seem a bit sort of... I mean, maybe it was because his computer didn't work for a little while. Maybe it's because he knows he's got to finish this podcast and go and have some sort of relationship with <laughs> Mrs. Crook, who uh, is still very much gloating about the fact that Arsenal beat Manchester United yesterday. Uh, but you, you just need to just, you know, there needs to be a little bit more blood flow to the to the brain, I think, this morning. You put a smile on your face. Come on. I, I'm just in realist mode, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's not looking great as South Coast correspondent with two of my teams in the relegation zone. It's not fun, though, Crook. You know, you have, no one wants to hang out with a realist. You know, we want dreamers on this podcast. Uh, Scott, thank you very much for your contribution. Uh, Fulham Tottenham for me tonight, but by the time you listen to this, that might well already be done. Tuesday night, we've got Southampton against Newcastle. Jim doing the commentaries. Carabao Cup semi-final first leg. Uh, Wednesday night, Nottingham Forest, Manchester United. Very much looking forward to going to the city ground for that one. Uh, Crook excited about the fact the possibility of going to Wembley. Come on, put that, you know, that, put that in your brain. That'll put a smile on your face. Uh, and Friday night, we've got Manchester City Arsenal in the FA Cup and the start of a huge weekend of FA Cup football. Make sure you join us on TalkSport, TalkSport 2, for all the best live games and ta- download the podcast, tell all your friends about us. And remember, we're on YouTube now as well. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 